Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He was a clown. And he played the part of a clown even when he wasn't made up. Uh, same thing would happen the other way around when he was grotesque. He wasn't thinking, well, I'm doing a terrible thing, I shouldn't do it. For the very first time, the greatest minds in criminology have come together to dissect the psyches of some of the world's most prolific serial killers. These forensic psychiatrists, psychologists and pathologists have an incredible depth of knowledge and often first-hand insight into these killers, helping us to understand what makes a monster. The following interview with Dr Richard Rappaport was recorded in July 2019 for Crime and Investigation's TV series Making a Monster. A clinical psychologist based in California, Dr. Rappaport was an expert witness in John Wayne Gacy's trial, an American serial killer convicted and ultimately sentenced to death for rape, torture and murder of at least 33 young men from 1972 to 1978. Having interviewed Gacy for over 65 hours, Dr. Rappaport gained a deep understanding of his psyche and the factors that drove him to kill. Caution, the subject matter of this interview contains graphic descriptions and is often very disturbing. I first got a call from his attorney, his attorney, Sam Amaranti, and he called me to ask me if I wanted to uh, help him in this uh, case where he was going to defend uh, Gacy. Uh, Gacy was, at that time, he was about 30 35 years old. He was uh, hospitalized at Cermak Hospital and not in, the, not in the jail itself. And I went to see him there. I had to go through identifying myself and getting admitted to the, to the institution. And then I was uh, allowed to see him actually in his jail cell. So uh, I was taken to the jail cell and introduced to him. I, this is 35, actually this is 40 years ago, so uh, that's not one of my uh, most vivid memories, but we had no problems. I'd, I saw him uh, for a total of 65 hours over a period of five months, and we got along fine. We never had any ang angry uh, sessions, no violence. He was never threatening to me. He would sometimes joke, sometimes he would 
tell me stories about things that were funny. I sometimes, one time or a couple of times, he offered to show me how he killed the guys. And uh, it was always very cordial. I've had actually a number of cases with serial murders and have not, not found any of them to be hostile to me. He thought I was like a, uh, almost like a friend. You know, I was, I was interested in, he got letters from ladies that wanted to marry him. Everybody wanted to talk to Gacy. Uh, I saw him uh, in the jail cell almost every time. There was a period of time he had to go over to the, uh, the actual prison, but otherwise it was at Cermak. And often he didn't wear his uh, prison uniform top. He would sit there with just bottoms, just uh, his long pants. A uh, prison suit was somewhat like scrub suit for surgeons, you know, loose fitting. And he, uh, he didn't seem to be in any way special or different, except I knew what he did. And for me, it was extremely unusual. At that point, he was accused of, uh, I don't know many, how many murders at that point, but first they got a few, three bodies and four bodies. Every, every couple of days, they turned up a few more bodies. Uh, the uh, total number of bodies attributed to him were 29 under his house and three uh, thrown into the Chicago River. And what, what was, uh, my, hot, my peak interest was the fact that this was an unusual person who had a lot of things that I knew about him that were positive. And he seemed like an ordinary, if not a, uh, a superior person. Uh, and it was amazing to me that at the same time he had done these horrific crimes. And, and that's what I spent a good year trying to figure out how could somebody who seemed so normal, and there were many things about him that were normal or better than normal, that uh, I uh, couldn't, couldn't put together the two sides of that personality. At the time I was seeing him, now this is 1997, and he was earning $250,000 a year in the remodeling business, and that was part of his uh, gimmick for getting the victims. But uh, he also was, was known as a minor, somewhat minor alderman. Uh, his attorney was an alderman. Uh, uh, the, uh, the fact is he, he led the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Chicago. Uh, he was also born on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. And so, uh, you know, that was a big thing for him. He would go dress as a clown. He went to entertain kids in, in, uh, in homes, orphan home, orphanages, and in hospitals. Uh, he greeted um, Carter, President Carter and his wife at the, uh, at the airport one time they came in and he went and flew around the state of Illinois with Governor Kerner uh, on a bond drive. So those, all those things were, and oh, he would, he would have parties at his home for something like 300 politicians, minor politicians usually, but he, would, he was a very affable, sociable guy, which is not unlike people with his psychiatric background, but he was, he was not uh, hidden away. He was not uh, a, a recluse. He was not an uh, unfriendly person. He was 
he's very popular with a lot of people. In fact, when he was in the prison, uh, the, he befriended the guards. The, the guards all liked him, which is not always uh, the case. And all the guards, uh, a lot of their wives made food, made him uh, dinners and sent them to the prison for him. Uh, he loved to eat. He was a big eater. And so he was a very popular kind of guy. He wasn't, he wasn't some uh, uh, very sullen, morbid person. Well, the things that he did with, uh, with public figures and the parties and so forth had nothing to do with his crimes, except that, you know, he's well known and he, he was like a, he's a narcissist, and so he got a lot of popularity uh, and, and fame from that. He had been arrested before these serial crimes. He had, he had two other crimes that he had committed. Uh, one, when he was pretty young, he committed sodomy, he was in jail for, uh, for that. I think he was maybe 15 or 16 years old. And he had uh, been in prison for, supposed to be there 20 years. Uh, he, was such a good, he was such a good inmate that they let him out after about three and a half or four years. But the trouble with that incarceration was it was important to him uh, because he was incarcerated at the time his father died. And they wouldn't let him out to, to, to go to the funeral, uh, which really uh, infuriated him. It was a very important factor. Uh, his father was a big factor in his life, but he wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. The other crime was a, uh, he had taken somebody home, a boy to his house one time, and he had uh, had sex with him, and that wasn't unusual, but the fact is that he fell asleep, or they both fell asleep, and when the, the boy woke up in the morning, he came into the room where, where uh, Casey was, and he was holding a knife, and, I guess he was really infuriated by that, and so he, he wound up killing him. And that was the first murder. And serial murders uh, often start out with the first crime being accidental as opposed to planned. And that was probably what could be considered the forerunner of the series of crimes that he did. His father came to came home usually uh, drunk or about to get drunk. And he would go to work in the basement and he would make things down there, lots of times by wood, with wood, so he's sawing and constructing things. And he wouldn't let John come down to the basement when he was there. If he did come down, he would put him to work, he'd give him a job to do. And no matter what he did, his father was critical. So if he, if he was painting something in the, the paint ran down sometimes as it does. He criticized him for that. Whatever he did was wrong. And he would berate him and uh, make him feel really terrible. But uh, John wanted a, to have a relationship with his father so bad, he'd inevitably get himself down there again, as much as the father tried not to have him be there. And that was, that was a, a big turnaround point for him in his life. Otherwise, he was uh, becoming interested in and uh, sexuality, and uh, as he got to be in his teens, uh, he started to have relationships with boys, other boys, some kind of sexual, either they were having sex with him or he was having sex with them, oral, oral, uh, oral sex most of the time. And he was um, berating them uh, in, in his mind 
for doing this. It was, he didn't think that they were uh, good people because they were doing that. Just the opposite of what you'd expect when they complied with his wishes. And it became a, that became a central issue with his relationship with his father and, and him. He liked his mother a lot because she was a lot less um, punitive to him. She was a soft, a soft person, uh, where he sought to call his father a hard and uh, angry, belligerent kind of guy. And he started to like his mother to the point of taking her underwear and wearing it sometimes. Uh, he liked it because it was silky and smooth and soft. Gacy belongs to a group of killers, serial killers, that's known as sexual uh, sadists killers. Sexual sadist killers is a, one of the separate, a different kind of killer than other kinds of serial killers. And there are people who usually, uh, a major part of their interaction with their victims is sexual. In fact, I thought that one or two times he had uh, sex even with the dead bodies. And uh, as a forerunner to that, he worked in a mortuary one time. He slept with the bodies in a, in a mortuary. And then the last one, the last victim of his, he did sleep with him, but I don't know if he had sex with him. But I'm pretty sure he, he would have experimented with at least one or two of them that way. Part of the sexual behavior of a killer is the issue of power and control. And many people who are involved with sex uh, crimes, that's a big issue. You know, rape and so forth are, are all a uh, matter of power and control. But if you have a, uh, if you have a corpse, you're certainly not going to have any complaint afterward. You're not going to have anybody retaliate. So that could be a part of it. Uh, many of the victims were people that worked for him in, his, in the pharmacy. You know, the one reason he made so much money is, uh, in his construction business is he'd go to the pharmacists and he'd say, uh, tell me what's your, your best bid on, on doing this, redoing this building or this, this, this store, and I'll beat it. I'll do, I'll do the same for the same price, but I'll get it done one-third of the time. So he did that by having three shifts of guys to do it. So he, and he'd stay up all night and he'd, he'd have drugs available from the pharmacy just so he'd stay awake. So he'd work there and in the three shifts and he'd get the work done a third of the time. But these are the same guys that he would sometimes take home as victims. Uh, some guys m might be applying for jobs and he, they never got to do the work, but he'd see them as a potential sexual victim or sexual partner and then he'd start uh, having sex with him at home, that was that was his total scenario for for getting a victim. He would often get them involved with alcohol, and he'd get drunk. That was an important factor that he would get drunk, and he would use uh, drugs uh, at the same time. And it was very, that's very crucial in my in my final uh, uh, diagnosis that. The, he was not in his normal state at that time. I mean, he was high, he was, he was uh, taking drugs that would hype him up, 
Uh, he would become delusional sometimes from the drugs. And so the kids were participating with, with their own uh, scenario from, as a result of the, the alcohol and the drugs, and as was he. But he had this idea in mind what he was going to do to them and how he was going to do it. He was going to create a situation in which they were begging for sex or that they were tolerating his sexual overture, whatever, and that he makes them look bad. He makes them look a bad, like a bad person. He never, I don't think he used the word pleasure. I don't think it was in his vocabulary at that. But he did say that, you know, what his goal was, that he would have sex with these guys, oral sex, one or the other. And he sometimes would do things that would be obviously sadistic toward, to them, uh, require them that they would uh, perform sodomy on him and then he'd uh, force or he performed sodomy on them. He forced them to, to do oral sex on his penis, which had feces on it. So he was berating them as much as he could. Uh, and that was to, to take the role of the father, who he felt was always berating him. Uh, the satisfaction he got from that was obvious. I mean, he didn't say, I had a lot of pleasure. He didn't use that term. What he did was, a, there was a psychological term. He identified with the aggressor. He identified with his father. So to him, he was like his father. He was going to be like his father, who was the one who was, who was so brutal to him. So he'd rather be his father in that relationship because the father was the one who did the punishing rather than the one who received the punishing. John Wayne Gacy was executed by lethal injection in May 1994, having spent 14 years on death row. Dr. Rappaport was afforded over 65 hours with him. What insight can Rappaport give into Gacy's mind? And did he discover anything that could explain why and how he could commit such horrendous acts? There's a number of defenses, ego defenses, that are in a normal person, but are in people who are, he's a borderline uh, personality disorder. The borderline uses uh, a defense that other people don't use normally, it's called splitting. So they, they can say uh, that they are there or they're not there. They can basically have two worlds going on at one time. And that's what he was doing. His world of the sex and, the, and, the, and his uh, sadism and the uh, killing uh, was split off so that he didn't think about that. It was not in his conscious mind. You have to realize there is an unconscious part of the mind. So in his unconscious, yes, it would, it would still be there. But he split it off so that uh, they, uh, things that he had done before, in those, in those situations, the killing was not, he was not even aware of it at the time. He was liked for that. I mean, a lot of people saw him as a very friendly, happy, he was a clown. And he played the part of a clown even when he wasn't made up. And he talked to people that way, but uh, he could split that off. And uh, same thing would happen the other way around when he was grotesque and uh, harsh to these guys. Uh, 
he does, the other part of him was not there. He wasn't thinking, well, I'm doing a terrible thing, I shouldn't do it. Personality disorder included the idea of brief psychotic episodes. A brief psychotic episode was the crucial element which described his psych psychotic behavior at the time of the killing. So what he had done was he had worked himself into that situation. You know, when I'm in court and the, and the, and the uh, uh, prosecutor's asking me, how could he be crazy 32 times? Well, I'm saying he had 32, at least 32 episodes of this brief psychotic episode. Now, a psychotic episode is, is like being schizophrenic. That's what they mean by psychotic. Uh, schizophrenia is one of the types of psychosis. And um, when they're in that state, their thinking is uh, irrational. Their behavior is irrational. Their thinking uh, is delusional. They have, sometimes they hear voices and see things that really aren't there. Those are called hallucinations. Well, I think he was delusional at the time. One of the purposes of psychoanalysis or psychiatry, psychiatric uh, treatment is to become aware of our behavior, why we do what we do. And so sometimes when you become aware of it and understand it, uh, you could, could, you could um, decide, make a conscious decision to avoid doing things that are, that are destructive. Uh, he never gave me any inclination that he uh, felt that way during that time. People with this diagnosis are very unavailable, usually, usually unavailable for treatment. I mean, they don't believe that they need it. They don't uh, do well in it. I wouldn't have believed him if he said he was, that he, that he was all better. I mean, he said, if he told me he didn't have that, those thoughts anymore, I wouldn't have believed him. I wouldn't have believed him for anything he said anymore because he was never sincere. You know, I did a sodium amytol interview on him. I had him under a truth serum for several hours. And he didn't say anything to me during that time that was new, that was really divulging something that he wouldn't tell me when he was supposedly awake. So I don't think he would have been a successful treatment case. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before he had the, the state of mind that was affected by the alcohol and the drugs, he could set it up because he would go out and pick up people. He was still sober. He was unaffected by those, at least those two factors at those times. Uh, he could pick up people uh, and he would get into conversations in which he would sort of be boastful and he'd, he'd say things that would induce a conversation and he'd become appealing to them in some ways. Uh, then he would begin to use the alcohol and drugs when he get home. Now, when you, when you talk about the number of murders that he did, usually with killers, the more they do, the more they want to do, and the more frequently they, they do it. Not necessarily every day, but every week or two weeks, every month or two. So they become closer. The first one was six years difference between 72 and, and let's say, the next time in maybe three, four years, and the next time maybe four, three, or four, three or four years to two years, and so forth, until they get relatively close. And he gets addicted to it, and he gets feeling like he can get away with it. You know, no one, no one's going to notice. Now the thing about it, he was burying them in his in his basement, which was creating an odor, and he would he he was aware of the odor, and he was putting uh, calcium or lime on the bodies to, to cover up the, the smell. Uh, one of the first ones, if not the first one, he buried, put a cement over him. Eventually his wife became aware of it, and so he put more lime, so he covered up some more. She didn't like his uh, being out at night sometimes. Uh, she uh, was wondering what he's doing. He always had some excuse. He had to go meet a customer. Or he had to go check on a, uh, one of his properties that he was remodeling was being worked on at night. He had to go out. So, but she didn't, no one suspected. No one suspected that he, uh, or at least acknowledged that they, that they had any thought about it. They might have, what's going on here, but no one really, uh, he did, uh, he did um, pick up one guy and he had a sexual experience with him and this guy ran away. He went to the police and the police never, never did anything to, to Gacy about it. To, you know, he wrote a book called 29 Below. You know, you have a picture of the gauze. He used that to demonstrate to me uh, how he would tie a knot and put the knot around someone's neck. He offered to do it for my tie one time, and uh, I didn't take him up on it. But he was, you know, he was a jokester. He, he would tell jokes about these things. He denied doing it. He'd tell me stories about things he did when he did some of these killings. And then five minutes later, he said, you know, I really didn't do that. You know, it's not me that did it. And he's got these two guys that work for him. One was Bukovic, and I forgot the name of the other guy, but uh, he would blame it on them, or he'd blame it on somebody else. I think he said something that once about being the, uh, being the last victim. He'd be buried as the last victim of his father.
I was the first psychiatrist to see him. I was uh, called the chief psychiatrist in the case. But by the time he got done, there were 11, he had 11 different people uh, examine him for the defense and for the uh, prosecution, including psychiatrists, psychologists, and, and uh, others. Uh, I, had him, I had him studied uh, as part of my workup, uh, have his, his chromosome study, see if he's an XYY chromosome. I had him study with his brain examined, both with uh, EEG and uh, what they call serial uh, pictures. Uh, he was studied by uh, a, a, a psychologist, a traceman who I, who I recommended, and, and then a neurologist. So he had at least 10 or so studies to see if it was, there was an organic cause uh, to his behavior. And he was, uh, he was all uh, okay. He didn't show any abnormalities. In fact, his IQ is the same as mine. <laughs> he had 137 verbal IQ. That's pretty high. I mean, for a killer anyway. Maybe not for a psychiatrist, but... <laughs> In the next episode of Making a Monster, the tapes, we'll have the second section of our interview with Dr. Richard Rappaport, where he talks more about clinical psychology. And watch the John Wayne Gacy episode of the Making a Monster TV show for a more acute look into how he became known as the killer clown. Crimeandinvestigation.co.uk has a whole host of profiles and articles for you to read and extra material from the series. Thank you to all that have left us ratings and reviews. We've read through all of your kind words, and if you want to get in touch on social media, tag your post with hashtag makingamonster to have your say. Making a Monster The Tapes features interviews recorded by Monster Films for the Crime and Investigation TV series and was voiced by me, Cherry Healy, Produced by Sam Pearson and Chloe Frost, with editing by Joel Porter. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. 
Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.